0: Welcome to Learning at the Center, the show where we explore uncommon ideas about learning from Fort Lewis College faculty. I'm your host, Isla Moore from Teaching and Learning Services, and this week's episode is sponsored by Universal Design for Learning. UDL addresses a reach everyone, teach everyone philosophy of education by incorporating multiple means for the why, the what, and the how of learning. And UDL has been shown to reduce barriers and increase equity in the classroom, Welcome to episode five. We're continuing our conversations on creating community in digital spaces. And today we're talking with Dr. Carolina Alonzo and what she's doing to create community in digital spaces, what life is like as a faculty in residence, how she used Google Maps for an OER digital humanities project, her use of memes for the American dream, and how Ken and Barbie helped her students with a final project assignment. We also have a lightning round for you at the end of the show, so make sure you listen all the way through. Now allow me to introduce our guest. Dr. Carolina Alonso is an assistant professor of borders and languages and gender and sexuality studies at Fort Lewis College. Dr. Alonzo's research interests include US Latinx literature, Latin American literature, gender and sexuality studies, and queer theory. She is the recipient of the 2020 Ginny Hutchins Teaching Award for new faculty. Thanks for joining me, Dr. Carolina Alonso. What do you teach here at Fort Lewis College and why do you teach it?
1: Yeah, I teach, I'm in the sociology department, but I teach um, in the borders and languages program and also in the gender and sexuality studies program. Why? Um, Because borders and languages is, is literature, is language, is culture, right? And it allows me to explore into like, you know, queer studies and gender studies, but also language. So I think it's just, perfect we went from modern languages where you know it was a traditional way of teaching Spanish with like even textbooks and and whatnot and to completely different curricula and no textbooks no you know like it was you know creating activities creating the the resources for students creating new classes um it's it's been a lot of work but it's it's very exciting for for us
0: Why get rid of the traditional modern language approach and take on this more holistic, comprehensive approach? There
1: has been a big, big crisis with languages in higher education, like foreign languages or modern um, languages, and um, there's a couple of reasons for that. I think one is a lot of universities are not supporting for many reasons, you know, like languages. Um, The other reason, I think, it's because a lot of these programs are very stuck in, in like this. you know, ways of teaching that maybe are, you know, useful for for some students, but we, we thought that it would be more useful to cater for more, you know, a bigger range of students. There's a lot of people that wanna be teachers and, and we offer that like, you know, Spanish for people that wanna be teachers, but also there's people that, you know, wanna use their, their language skills for, you know, to go, to pair it up with other careers like criminal justice or social work, especially in this area. and. I mean, everywhere in the US, to be honest, right? You know, the workplace has changed and, and, and we need to start thinking about these
0: things. I'd like to ask you about your undergraduate experience. Um, how is your undergraduate experience similar to and different from the students that you see in your classroom today? And then the follow-up to that is, did your undergraduate experience have any impact on how you see yourself as a teacher today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I went to to undergrad. I actually did my my bachelor's and master's at the same institution. It's the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley um, in in Edinburg, Texas. That's like the border with with Mexico. And so, you know, I think the difference between my my experience and my students is that um, UTRGV is a little you know bigger. The thing that I see the most different is that. Um, I actually saw a lot of people like myself, like I saw a lot of validation from my professors, because there's a lot more, you know, Mexican-American professors because we're, you know, so close to the border. And, and I think that was something that was helpful to me. Um, But I do, I, my experience is similar to my students because, uh, you know, as we, as you know, Fort Lewis has a big first, first generation college students. And, and, you know, that was my experience as well. And I see that a lot with our students of like, just struggling with how do I, you know, apply for this, um, these scholarships or how, you know, how do I go and talk to my professors, right? Like, and, and that's something that I, I actually relate a lot to them, especially working here as a um, faculty in residence, living on campus. Sometimes it's just hard. Like you feel like there's nobody on your corner or like, you know, like I I can't make it or the imposter syndrome, right? Like what am I doing here? I don't don't belong here.
0: Looking at our first-gen students as well as other students who may still have that sense of belonging uncertainty that, you know I'm not sure I belong here. You mentioned imposter syndrome and you're also a faculty in residence which is a pretty um, unique position to be in. You get to see students out of classrooms you know, in their social life, in their dorms, how does your experience as a first-gen student dealing with the uncertainty of what is this institution, why am I here, I don't really see myself represented, how does that impact your identity and your role as a teacher and also as a faculty and residence? A lot of students,
1: you know, there's the students that are always asking for, is there anything else I can do for extra credit? Can I... You know, and, and those students probably, you know, either learn it or have heard about it or know that they can talk to professors, right? Kind of like a negotiation thing. Like, let me, I, you know, I know I didn't do this, but can I do this? Um, and then I started realizing that a lot of students weren't asking for that, right? And so I think it's not that, or maybe I thought they're maybe not as interested because they don't want to go the extra mile. And then I remember, right? What it was for me being so scared of having those conversations with my professors, especially like culturally for a lot of us, right, in, in, in my culture as a Latina, it, you know, you have this respect for professors like this and it almost, it's kind of like bordering with being scared, you know, it's like beyond that. And so now I don't assume anything. I don't assume that maybe the students are, you know, not interested or they don't want to ask for help. Yeah, I offer, you know, that for everybody and make sure that everybody knows that if, if they need to have those conversations with me that they can and in different ways too, because some people don't want to come to the office, you know, it's like kind of like can be intimidating. So, you know, email or zoom or, you know, write me something, tell me something in one of your, you know, um, uh, when I grade and have comments, you know, let's have those conversations. I think that's like the first thing, don't assume, right. Offer help for everybody, even if they're not asking for it, because that's, you know, they're probably the most, students that need the most help or conversation or dialogue, right? And then in, with faculty in residence, something that I, you know, I did, especially the first year, last year with COVID, it was so hard. But the first year was, you know, I told you that sometimes some people are scared of their professors. It's like, I cannot, and that affects, you know, the way that you interact in class because maybe you feel I'm too dumb. I don't want to say this. My, my question is, you know, not important, whatever, right? And so what I did was to create, you know, relationships between faculty and students. Um, in every every other week we had an event of like, you know, come cook with Michael Martin, come play with and come, this is your professor. Yes, we respect them, but also they're humans. They're like, they like to cook, they like to play. If the students don't go to the professors, let's bring them here at least so that they can have those connections and conversations and We even had like a cornhole tournament with the social professors and students and,
0: you know, just fun things. I would love to come and cook with Michael Martin, too.
1: Yeah, we should. He did like a dessert kind of thing. It was good. Of course.
0: (laughs) So when you were an undergraduate, thinking back or maybe even in graduate school, was there a class or a professor that you had that had a very unexpected impact on you? And this still resonates with you today whether positively or negatively yeah i actually
1: had those two experiences um i had one class which i really liked it was a latin american literature class and um and i remember um the professor was talking about a you know an actor playing uh, a movie that was based on a book uh, you know it was a silent movie anyways um he said something about the actor and And i said oh yeah that actor had a very deep voice and and he said something like i just said it was a silent movie right everybody started laughing and i you know i didn't even have a chance to say yeah but i i know the actor and he actually had a voice right and so he started laughing everybody started laughing and that was the last time i spoke on that class
0: oh
1: it was like you know and and i'm very like you know emotional and so um, every time, you know, I'm in class and, and I say something and we laugh, it's like a thing that automatically I have to say, OK, make sure that the student knows we're not making fun of him. Let's make sure that, you know, it's it's not that we don't we're not going to make him or make her or them feel uncomfortable. I, I always automatically think say something so that the class is laughing together, but not making fun of somebody. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. And then on the other side, I had this such an amazing Chicano uh, literature class where <clears throat> I understood how amazing it was to see yourself represented in books, in history, in literature. It was, it was just that oh moment, like, wow, like, you know, there's people like me or immigrants, you know, um, that, you know, speak like me, look like me. And, um, and that was amazing. In fact, that professor, I think it was the first time that she allows allowed us um, she allowed us to to do a creative project as a final project, and I remember I did like a comic book with like a Chicana superhero, and I incorporated history, and and that's something that I do in almost all of my classes now.
0: And and one of the things that you do that I find so amazing is the diversity of assessments that you have. I think a zombie idea in teaching, and perhaps this is shifting with more digital tools. A zombie idea in teaching is, you know, multiple choice test, essay that we have these pick from the three assessments that we allow in classes. And you do memes, you do (laughs) videos. Can you talk about some of the creative assessments that you have in your online course and why, why you do these? Is this just because you enjoy, you know, seeing what students come up with or you just think there's better ways to to get students engaged?
1: Once students get really engaged, like I just finished my intro to GSS class a couple of weeks ago, right? A month ago. And so for the final project, students had to, um, you know, analyze um, sexism and homophobia and all these different concepts in music. And so they had to write an analysis, but also they had to show a display of this using Barbies and cans. And this is an idea that I got from a teacher in in Argentina who, you know, I saw it on Twitter and and I was like, this is amazing. And that's the cool thing about social media, right? That we share all of these ideas. And so, you know, the the assignment was, okay, you're going to choose a song that you see where you see things that we've covered in class, right? Um, And then you're going to analyze and using it, you know, like, you know, when we talk about intersectionality, when we talk about patriarchy, all of these things. And then for your creative, you know, assignment, you're going to represent this with cans and dogs, right? And so it was interesting, because I didn't want students to, you know, go to the store and buy all this. But we had a, a student that had um, a couple of uh, children, right? And she donated. She's like, please take them. <laughs> I don't want all of these Barbies. And so their results were amazing. I, it was just like, you know, a student did like a a, a, a glove, what a snow glove, I think you call them. And it was like, you know, a song about a super sexist song. And so it was the woman and it was all these items presented on the song and she just went like this and you could see the woman trapped. Um, It was amazing. And then, you know, women that in students that talked about missing and murder indigenous women and and how like a lot of songs promoted this violence against women and the conversations, right? And it was a visual thing. There you have your essay, you analyzed it, but then with the class, you share this visual where um, you know, we take it to the next level. Like, how do we see this represented? But infographics, there's just, you know, research that shows like when students research, they put the information, they actually summarize things a lot better than just like putting in a PowerPoint, all of the info. Um, and then the memes. The memes are really um, popular too, because we read something, right? Um, let's say that we're reading a, a novel about immigration. And so Um, we we did this with a novel called Don Chipote, which is a parody of like the American dream. And so I asked the students, okay, so what memes would you create about this story? And so it was pretty open like that. And they're like, "I I don't know what to do. It was like a whole like 20 minutes of what are you talking about? And then the things that they came out with, it was just like very sarcastic of this idea of the American dream Uh, of the gender roles. And so it was, it's amazing because then they laugh and then they share it. And it's, that's a fun idea that I also saw online, a professor doing that for a hundred years of solitude. And so I was like, okay, this is something that we can integrate in, in my class as well.
0: You developed recently a very extensive open educational resources course. I'd love for you to describe that project and what led you to it and what you hope to see happen from that project. Lately, I've
1: been working with other, um, um, you know, like professors, scholars, young young professors, in different departments who were my graduate school buddies. Um, We're working on digital humanities projects, especially about the border and Latinos in the U.S. Latinx people, and so I've been having so much fun doing those things like mapping. And I just, you know, it occurred to me like, why don't we do this in the classroom, right? Um, projects where students do research together, where students learn how to do basic technology things because what we use is Google Maps. Um, and so st- and the cool thing is as a, an engineering student helped me understand how Google Maps work and then I was able to teach my students. So it's kind of like a, again, like a chain, like standing on each other. Um, what, what we do with that is like we have this map and we've done three, three things so far with the map. One is mapping um, the um, different um, treaties between Mexico and the U.S. that um, where Mexico, the U.S. annexed a lot of the territories from Mexico, and I think that was very interesting and very, you know, deep for the class because um, we talked about how all, all these territories belonged to Mexico before 1848, but then let's go back more and th- and think about you know our indigenous. You know communities nations that lived and still live right and in those places and so it's it's not just like this was mexico but what it was before and still right um with our with you know indigenous students and indigenous lands and so that was pretty cool to say like okay this is what the u.s um, quote unquote took bought, you know whatever the you know how they how we want to like approach it but There's a lot more to that before. And so that was one of the things. The other thing we did with this map, and which is pretty cool, you can choose what you select, what you want to see in the map. The other thing was um, publishing houses, Latino publishing houses in the US, because as you know, there's not a lot of representation in literature and, and that's changing a little bit more, but I wanted students to see like, are there publishing houses that are doing, you know, publishing Latinx people, people of color, and so they, they did that, and with, you know, they added links to the actual places, and then we did that with authors as well, you know, pointing where they were born, and some of them is pretty cool, because we saw Puerto Rico, sí. Republica Dominicana, Mexico, and then, you know, they immigrated, or, you know, they're in the U.S., and so there's so many options, like, just the idea of asking students, what do you want to see, like, and then we visually see, the influence of Latinx people in the US, right? Which I think is pretty cool.
0: I just read an article um, from EDUCAUSE called Reimagining Online Culture, Project-Based Learning, Inclusion, and Reach in Online Education. And here's what the author Christian Snyder states. He says, teaching online can not only make education available to more people around the globe, but also open a space where students can share a piece of themselves, where different perspectives can interact, where we can learn from each other and our local environments and opportunities. It sounds like that's kind of what this map project that you were just describing is attempting to do. Is that fair to say? Yeah, um,
1: I think so. Uh, I think that the,
0: I'm planning a, an online class for,
1: for next semester, um, and I'm thinking about that a lot of like, why don't we add our stories to the map as well right every student especially our students you know that they come from different places and they're very proud you know of where they're from of their history their ancestors so it would be great to map that and and to share it because that the the idea is okay i share you know i added my story but who's reading that right we validate ourselves too by making it public within each other right some students might not want to share that you know with the rest of the world or but within the class and as as long as we feel safe of sharing these stories but absolutely especially in an online class right
0: well yes because a lot of people have struggled with this idea of creating community in online classes and it sounds like your project might increase that sense of both intimacy and intensity in learning by allowing us to explore our background and our places More in depth than probably we can in a face-to-face class and going up to the board and here's where I'm from, and or putting a a thumbtack, you know, here's where I've been. (laughs) (laughs) So when you think about important elements of community, um, what do you think those are? How, how, what's important to community? You mentioned questioning, you mentioned storytelling, you mentioned the ability to make mistakes, but be okay with that, and you've mentioned humor as well. What do you think creates community? Um, in your classes, whether these are online or in-person or blurred? I mean, all the things that you mentioned.
1: Um, and then respect, I think, respect and, and and caring about each other, which might sound like very superficial, like, oh, you know, caring about each other in a classroom is, I think it, it I know that for some disciplines, this is a lot harder, right? But in a discipline like mine, which is, has to do with identities, um, it has to, like, our interactions, our sense of community has to come from this sense of, I I care enough to listen to you. I care enough to to try to understand your experience, even if if our experiences are so different, right? Um, Because we have students in our classrooms that, you know, like in an intro to GSS, to gender and sexuality studies, might be you know, a cisgender male, white student listening to somebody talking about being two-spirit, right? You know, this idea of, I care to listen. I care to understand or try to understand your experience. And and I think that starts starts with how we set up the classroom too. I know that a, a lot of professionals don't don't like to talk about their lives. And I think because of their disciplines, they, this, this is okay. They can do that. But in, in my case, you know, I start with my, you know, like intersectionalities or I, if you're gonna be vulnerable in the class, then I'll start, you know, being vulnerable myself until, I, you know, the extent of it's comfortable, it's, it's part of what we're learning, you know, the theories um, and the history of, of this, you know, identities or stories that we're learning about. And so caring and re- respect are, I think, very important when we talk about community in the classroom.
0: Do these look different in person and in digital classes? I mean, in the classroom, you can see, you know, like the body language
1: when somebody's about to talk about, you know, their family, you know, going to boarding school, for example, right? And all these things that you feel, you know, the the tension in the room you feel. And at the same time, you know, you feel um, students talking to each other like at And this is something that I miss from online classes. I think it's when I say, okay, you can go now, like, thank you, we'll see you tomorrow or i see you Wednesday. And then there are those conversations in the classrooms where I hear that a lot of people saying, oh, thank you for sharing that. Or that was amazing, um, which happens a lot. And that's something that I love at Fort Lewis that students even recognize each other and, and give, like empower each other. And that's something that I cannot see in the in the online you know scenario because I know they do message each other. I know they have you know the chat, and but I don't I don't hear that. And I think that's a little selfish on my part that I want to be you know listening to that because that you know it it makes me feel like okay we're doing a good job you know. And so I think that's different, but it does happen too if you create the spaces. And for Louis, we have a wonderful you know, resource you know resources for students like. All, all the centers. And so if, if we don't have that classroom interaction, let's make sure that they know that, hey, did you like this topic? They, you know, you can just go to the NAC or you can go to the Centro or the G and have these conversations in person. I think my first year when people were not sharing or when people were not, you know, trying to connect critically, analyzing things, you know, with, you know, sharing or, you know, bringing their stories, I thought maybe they're not as interested, right? But I've learned that obviously that's not the case. But what I tell students is that, one, you don't have to share you know, personal things if you don't want to, that's perfectly fine. But if you do want and you just don't feel like you wanna say things out loud, there's different. If you go to my office, I don't know if you've been to my office lately, I have this wall of paintings and drawings <laughs> that students have made um, because you know, they don't wanna say things, but they wanna express them in different ways. And so like when you go in, there's like this amazing painting that I have of, you know, there's a woman and she has her hand tight, like she has like, you know, I don't know what she has on her hands, but they're tight. And then you see a television and like a reflection and the student on the bottom is just says like how I see myself reflected on television. And so they, they were, you know, the students that didn't say anything the whole semester, they just did their work, but they didn't, you know, express themselves in class,
0: but they gave me that. That's lovely. That's universal design for learning right there. Different modes of expression, different modes of action as well. Where do you want to see higher ed going? And then where do you see it going?
1: Fort Lewis is, is doing its own thing, which is great. Um, meaning like, I know there's a lot of conversations about diversifying our you know, classrooms and And I just don't mean like faculty like of color, which it is something that we need to we need to have, especially at a school that has more than 50 percent students of color. Right. You know, your curriculum, like how are we diversifying that? How are we making sure that we are um, reaching all of our students, that we're making sure that all of our students are successful? Right. There are a lot of disciplines where we might think, well, you know, it's just facts and there's no way we can change that. But you know, highlighting the contributions of, of people of color, of minorities, right? And there's so many contributions for like, you know, math, science, um, when we when we teach like American literature, who, I mean, adding all those American authors that might not be, you know, canonic, for example. And I think um, that's something that I see happening and I'm, I'm really excited about that, obviously. <laughs>
0: What about zombie ideas in teaching? These are ideas that won't die, but really should. You know, I I actually
1: listened to a podcast about that. And I don't remember the author, but I think he was one of the people that coined that zombie ideas. Yeah. Um, I don't remember his name, but um, he was talking about different things. Like, for example, the the teaching styles, I think the learning styles. I think he was talking about how there are more preferences, the styles, Right. And, and that made a lot of sense when I was listening to it because obviously some of us prefer like listening to things or looking at things, but that doesn't mean that we're not good on, you know, I don't know, reading instead of, you know, watching, right? And I think a lot of students have bought into that too because they come to my class and say something like, I'm not good with languages. You know, I just, because, you know, all these like, you know, rules and things and reading is just not how I learn. And that's interesting because they are good at that it's just that they i think it's kind of like a circle we've been telling them you know oh, maybe you're a better like kinesthetic learner and then that's why you don't learn the rules and then they believe that right obviously some of us have preferences but i think that we need to start thinking that all of our students are capable of learning right in, in just in big ways and so obviously being diversifying the way we teach means you know catering to different styles and preferences but that doesn't mean that we're actually telling students you're not good at this because you're better at this right
0: we are at the final fill in the blank lightning session and because of your um bilingualism you can answer these questions in spanish i was just going to say that because
1: if you're asking me for the first thing that comes to my mind it's probably going to be let's do that
0: let's do that so these are going to be as fast as you can um and then if there's a question you just want to tap out we just move on and if you want to come back we can come back are you ready okay great teaching is really all about loving i motivate my students by empowering them the thing that surprises me about fort lewis college students today is how much they care if I hadn't gone into education and teaching, I would have been a great um, lawyer. The FLC faculty or community member who would make a fantastic vice president of the United States would be Janine Fitzgerald. A silver lining in terms of education from the pandemic is being more patient. My students are always surprised to learn that I. Yeah, because
1: it's something dumb, but it is. I, I, I don't know how to swim and I've never been camping.
0: One class I would love to create either online or face-to-face at Fort Lewis College is? Digital humanities class. One thing I would love for students to learn in their college education is? Um, There's not
1: one way to go, there's many different routes.
0: A barrier to creating community in a classroom is? Miedo, fear. But that's easy to overcome if you? Show respect. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Learning at the Center, and stay tuned for upcoming episodes with your colleagues sharing their ideas on creating community in digital spaces. A big thank you to Dr. Carolina Alonzo for being my guest, and thank you to you for listening. Remember, with great teaching, anything is possible. Take care.